0: Thanks for joining us for the Westbridge Church Podcast. More information about Westbridge Church is available at westbridgedanville.com. Here's this week's message from Pastor John McDougall.
1: Good morning and thank you for being here today. I get the privilege of introducing you to our speaker this morning. He really needs no introduction, but if you... Uh... Just joined Westbridge here in the past 10 years. You may not have ever had the chance to hear Pastor Ron McDougall speak, um, but you actually experienced the benefit of what his life has meant and his faithfulness to God weekly here and the people who uh, grew up around here and who have been here for a long time, but also the fact of John and Rob, his sons, Mindy, his daughter, and then so many of you, along with me, grew up around here and uh, were able to sit under his teaching and under his ministry. He taught here and preached here. served here for 38 years and in the past 10 years he's been doing itinerant ministry with churches all over the country and uh, he is now celebrating 50 years of full-time ministry if i had to find one fault for the man he has an uncanny ability to find a chinese buffet wherever he goes and I am not a fan of Chinese food, but every, every once in a while he'll say, you want to go to Chinese? No, thanks. Um, but I am so excited for today, as he shared with me about six months ago when we had lunch, that he was working through the story of Job, and he's going to share that with you today. So if you would, um, give a good Westbridge welcome to Pastor Ron McDougall. <laughs> Thank
0: you, Pastor. Oh, good morning, church family. Good morning, church family. Okay, that, that, that's your Hoosiers. You're Hoosiers. That's good Hoosier hospitality. We're embarking on understanding and gaining strength and hope for the long journey. And uh, there's no one like Job to give us an inspiration of an individual who made that long journey and he did so with hope. Now, Job was the finest man on the face of the earth. That's not his own assessment or the assessment of his friends. God himself said so. He said that Job was a blameless man, a man of complete integrity, a man who feared him, and a man who avoided evil. Uh, For instance, Job had seven sons and three daughters. When these children grew of age, it became a, a habit the, the sons, whenever they had a birthday, they would hold a feast and they would invite their brothers and sisters. After the feast was over, Job, very early the next morning, would offer a sacrifice for each one of his sons and each one of his daughters, just in case, in all their merrymaking, they had sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job was not only a godly man, but he was an incredibly wealthy man. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 1,000 oxen, and 500 donkeys. Well, one day the members of the heavenly court were presenting themselves to the Lord, and along with them came the accuser, saint. And God said, where have you come from? What have you been up to? Satan replied, been patrolling the the whole earth, watching everything that's going on. Well, have you observed my servant Job? There's There's no one like him. He's blameless, a man of integrity. He fears me and he shuns evil. Yes, uh, of course he fears you. Uh, Look what you've done for him. You've put a wall of protection around him and his family and his property. Look how wealthy you have made him. But take away what you've given to him, and he'll curse you to your face. All right. You may test him. Do what you will with what he has, but don't lay your hand on Job. Well, the oldest son one day was celebrating his birthday with all of his siblings, and a, a messenger came rushing in to Job Master, Master, while the donkeys were grazing and the oxen were plowing, uh, Master, the Sabaeans attacked. They stole all the livestock. They've killed all of the, your servants. I am the only one to escape to tell you this. And while he was talking, another servant interrupted, come rushing in. Master, master, while the sheep were grazing, fire from heaven fell. They, they were all burned. Master, your servants were, were killed. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was reporting, a third servant came rushing in. Master, master, the Chaldeans attacked us in three raiding parties. They took off all the camels. They killed all the servants. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was reporting, a fourth messenger came rushing in. Master, Master, while your children were feasting, a great wind came up off of the desert. It hit the four corners of the house. Master, the house collapsed upon them. Master, they're all dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And when Job heard that, he stood to his feet in grief, he ripped off his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell to the earth to worship. Naked I came, from the, came into this world, naked I shall depart. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, praise be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Well, again, the members of the heavenly court were reporting themselves, presenting themselves before the Lord. And again, the accuser came along with them. What have you been up to? What, what have you been doing? I've been patrolling the whole earth, just looking to see what's going on. Have you noticed my servant Job? He is a man of complete integrity, he's blameless, he fears me. He shuns evil and Job has maintained that integrity even though I allowed you to harm him without cause. Skin for skin, a a man will do anything to save his life. Let me touch Job's health and he'll curse you to your face. All right, you may do with him as you will with his health, but spare his life. Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Soon boils broke out from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He, he sat in ashes, and with a, a broken piece of pottery, he scraped the boils from off of his skin. His wife came up to him and and said, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? uh, Curse God and die. You talk like a foolish person. Shall we not accept just good things from God and not evil things as well? And in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Well, some of Job's friends, three of them, as a matter of fact, uh, heard of his condition and of the tragedy that had befallen him, and so they met, and then they approached Job to comfort him. As they drew near, they, they didn't even recognize Job. He was so disfigured in all of his grief. But when they came upon him, they began to wail loudly. They tore their clothes, and they, they threw dirt up in the air and it fell upon their heads, and they sat down in the ashes with Job and for seven days and seven nights they didn't utter a word finally the silence was broken by Job himself oh I wish I were dead cursed is the day of my birth had I only died at birth I'd be at peace now the oldest of the friends, said, stop your whining. It's obvious that suffering is the consequence of sin. It seems to me you must have done something really awful. Repent and turn back to the Almighty, who is not only the punisher, but he's also the healer. The second of the friends said, well, it's obvious. God does not pervert justice. Your children are dead because of what they did. If you were innocent, God would be blessing you. Repent and turn back to God, and he will bless you. The third of the friends said, don't you understand, Uh, God is beyond the, the reach of mere mortals. Uh, but give yourself to wisdom. Devote yourself to him, and perhaps you will find hope. Job You're not comforting me. You're, you're tormenting me. Don't you understand? God destroys the innocent as well as the guilty. Uh, I'm innocent. I've been a help to the poor. I've been eyes to the blind. I've been feet to the lame. I've been the security for the stranger. I've been a father to the fatherless. I've broken the fangs of the wicked. I've made a covenant with my eyes never to gaze upon a young lady with lust. I've been faithful to my wife. I've never observed and, and considered the sun and its radiance or the, the moon moving in its, across the night sky so that my heart has been enticed and with my hand I've offered them a, a kiss and homage? I, I have never rejoiced at the misfortunes of my enemies Oh, when God was blessing me I'd go to the city gates, and and young men would part their ways. Old men would stand to their feet. Now they mock me, they scorn me, they ridicule me. Oh, I wish he would only tell me what I've done. What have I done wrong to deserve all this? Life is short, and it's full of troubles. Oh, I just wish there was somebody who would stand between me and God and would, would argue my case before him. I cry out, help! And all I hear is silence. But still, though he slay me, I'm going to trust him. I know I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I will see him. With my own eyes, I, not another. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. Now, for 30-some chapters, there's this accusing of the friends and there's this defense of Job. Finally this debate ends when a a whirlwind comes and God himself speaks out of the whirlwind. And he says to Job, Who is this who questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man. I have some questions for you and you will answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Surely you must know. Where were you when I determined its dimensions? Uh, tell me since you know so much. Uh, where were you when the foundations were laid and what supports the foundations? Where were you when a measuring line was stretched across it? Where were you when its cornerstone, and who, was its, what, who laid its cornerstone? Can you bring out the constellations and their seasons? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you fasten the chains of the Pleiades? Can you call out to the clouds and they'll cover you with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? And on and on and on, rhetorical question after rhetorical question. And then God brings out behemoth, the the monster of the land, and he brings out Leviathan, the monster of the seas. And if Job cannot contend with Behemoth and and Leviathan or mankind contend with Behemoth or Leviathan, how can they contend with Behemoth and Leviathan's creator? Then finally Job says, I I know you can do everything. I, I, I spoke of things too wonderful for me to know. You, you, you asked, uh, where were you when when, uh, you, when you did these things? I, I, I should not have spoken. I did not understand this. You said you have some questions for me, and I'm to answer you. I have seen you with the hearing of my ear, or heard of you with the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see you. I despise myself. And I repent in sackcloth and ashes. When Job said that, God turned to Eliphaz, the oldest of the friends. He said, I'm angry with you and your two friends. for you did not speak the truth about me like my servant Job has. Take seven bulls and seven rams and take them to Job and sacrifice them. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and will not bring upon you what your foolishness deserves. And when Job prayed for his friends, his fortunes changed immediately. His brothers and sisters and everyone who he had met came to his house to eat and to celebrate. They each brought a piece of silver and they brought a A gold ring and God blessed the latter half of Job's life twice as much as the first part of Job's life Uh, he now had 14,000 sheep Uh, he had 6,000 camels he had 2,000 oxen and he had 1,000 donkeys and God gave to Job another family Seven sons and three daughters. And all those daughters. <laughs> the most beautiful ladies in the whole land. We're never told the names of any of the sons, but the daughters, Jemima, Keziah, and Karen Hapak. Job lived another 140 years. He enjoyed his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren and his great great grandchildren. Finally, Job died, an old man, and a a man full of years. Well, now that's the Reader's Digest version of about 42 chapters in a few minutes. There's great internal evidence for us to believe that Job was the very first book God had written probably predates Moses' writing of the book of Genesis. And since that is true, it's interesting to know what does God want to communicate to the human race at the very, very outset, very basic. There are a few lessons that we learn from Job, and they're just quite obvious. There are many more than what we have time to talk about this morning, but let me just... Suggest a few of them to you. Beginning with chapter one, very outset, we learn this: God is in control. Even Satan is God's Satan. Satan cannot touch Job unless he God he gets permission from God, and God gives him the go-ahead. Now, this is, follows through through the rest of Scripture. Uh, we find that in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would fail not. And then we're told, as Paul writes to the church, there is no temptation overtaking you such but such as common to man, but God is faithful. With the temp- he will not allow you to be tempted above that what you are able to bear. With the temptation, he will make a way of escape so that you can endure it. Now I find it just very, very encouraging, very, very comforting to know that God is in control. Do you? Well, I do. Thank you. (laughs) Hate to be alone. (laughs) But you know it's kind of challenging too because if God is in control then when I'm praying for somebody to be healed in the hospital and instead three days later I'm going to their funeral I have a problem that the atheist doesn't have. People just die to the atheist and what can you say? But when our prayers are not answered and we have a crisis, then there's a problem. So how do we deal with that? Well, our great mentor, as well as our Savior, shows us how. Before Jesus was facing the greatest of the crisis of his earthly ministry, he prayed this, Abba, Father, I know that you can do all things, Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now catch that. The relationship and the affection. Abba, Father, Daddy. I know that you can do all things, the affirmation of faith. Take this cup from me. A reasonable desire. I don't want to suffer. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Surrender. Now, if we can do that, we can face the major crisis of life. The problem is, uh, how can we just do that in a moment's notice? Well, we can't. That's something that has to be practiced. But we're told to practice that. Disciples came to Jesus, and they said, teach us how to pray. He said, well, when you pray, pray such as this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. What? Again? Just recently, I've written. I've started praying that way, and I've been shocked. I, I've given my laundry list of God of the things that I want him to bless for the day. Here's what I'm going to do today, and the last is going to be go to an Indians game, and I want him to win. Lord, bless this to praying, Lord, I don't know what you're going to bring into my life today, but help me. I, 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 I surrender to whatever you bring into my life. And if we do that on a daily basis, We're going to be prepared for the gigantic crisis. And by the way, we all will experience one or two or three or a multitude of them. The gigantic crisis that come. God is in control. Furthermore, we are taught in the book of Job that uh, we don't know why people suffer. Job Friends had no idea why he was suffering. Job's wife had no idea why he was suffering. Job's friends had a very, very tiny paradigm. Their paradigm was this. Suffering is the natural consequence of sin. If you're suffering, it's because you've sinned, period. Now, when we get to the disciples, they enlarge that by a double. They have a big paradigm. Walking along with Jesus, they see a man who was born blind. And they said, uh, 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 who sinned? This man or his parents? <laughs> they, they've really enlarged it now. They were wrong. Jesus said neither, but that God could be glorified. We have a difficult time trying to understand why people suffer. And we, frankly, we don't know. Would you repeat this with me? We do not know why people suffer. Say it out loud. We do not know why people suffer. We need to walk away with that. Every once in a while there will be a hurricane or a flood or whatever, and some notable Christian will go make a, a pronouncement, God is judging America. That's why we have had this flood. That's why the hurricane came. And then there's just an uproar from the, from the nation. And with red face, I, I, I shouldn't have said that. I don't know why this, this came. We can do the same thing. Uh, Phillips Brooks made the big mistake. He was pastoring in a, a town. Phillips Brooks gave us that great little carol, old little town of Bethlehem. And in the town he pastored was a Unitarian church, and the Unitarian church burned down. And Phillips Brooks, the next Sunday, waxed eloquent on why God was judging that congregation and burned their building. The only problem was a few months later, his own building burned down. Now he was stuck. Well, we don't know why people suffer. We do not know even why we suffer. That is a huge message of the book of Job. Now we know why Job suffers. Satan knows why Job suffers, God knows why Job suffers, probably the court of heaven knows why God why Job suffers. Job has no idea why he is suffering. And when God meets with him finally, God never tells him why he suffered. No idea. Why he suffers. Uh, A great statement has been made by uh, Alfred Edersheim. And uh, he says this. We cannot understand the meaning of many trials. God does not explain them. That's key. To explain a trial would be to destroy its object which is that of calling forth simple faith and implicit implicit obedience. If we knew why the Lord sent us this or that trial, it would thereby cease to be a trial, either of faith or of patience. Easy in a hospital room or a funeral home to say, why? Don't ever expect to hear an answer. But we can't ask, ask this, what? What would you have me to do in light of this, Lord? How should I respond to this? James tells us that God generously will give us the wisdom and will not upbraid us, he will not criticize us for having to ask how to respond when we find ourselves in a crisis. Now, obviously, if we've, if we've violated God's word and God's direction, it's like running into a brick wall It doesn't hurt to do a a quick check and see, uh, what have I done wrong? But if we can't come up with what we have done wrong, uh, then we just need to ask the right question. Furthermore, we learn that God is gracious, how great and wonderful he is. We're never told that God restored Job's livestock and doubled his livestock as a reward. The reward is never even intimated there. God just did it. God just did it very graciously. And God gave him another family. Now those who have lost a child will tell us a hundred children don't make up for the one child that's lost. We need to understand that. But Job was bereft of family, and for his sake, seven more sons and three more daughters would, uh, would be uh, a help to him. Mrs. Job went through ten more pregnancies. Ladies, that's what you get by telling your husband, <laughs> curse God and die. <laughs> but God is so gracious. Gracious. Now, the critics, the the critics, oh, they wax eloquent here. They say, this is so syrupy. Uh, This is too sweet. Life's not like that. For crying out loud, this sounds like Walt Disney. Uh, Haven't you ever heard the word martyr? A martyr is someone who is faithful and they weren't restored, they died. I've heard the name martyr. I know what the name martyr means. But I just don't see the scope of reality being 70 plus years. It's all eternity. Paul writes to the Romans, But I consider that our suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And to the Corinthians, he writes, uh, so we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. God is so gracious. Uh, Furthermore, God is true and his word is reliable. So nice to know that we can trust God's word. This is not fake news, false news, any kind. This is the real deal. When law enforcement officials are trying to find the truth from various witnesses, they look for little details to catch up a liar. Uh, A liar has got the main excuse down well in his mind, but he may trip himself up on some of the little details. ah, you just said you were at the basketball game last night, and yesterday you said you were at the movies last night. Why don't you start to tell us the truth? Now, just the reverse is true. The little details confirm the authenticity of a statement. The Bible tells us that Job was blessed and was given twice as much as what he had before. But instead of going from seven sons to 14 sons and three daughters to six daughters, he just gets another seven sons and three daughters. Discrepancy? not unless God realizes he still has seven sons and three daughters in the presence of God. We have friends, Wayne and Judy, and if you ask Wayne, how many children do you have? He'll immediately, without even thinking, will say, we have three. Our youngest lives in Noblesville, our oldest lives in, or middle son is in Michigan, and our oldest daughter is, is living with the Lord in heaven. He's got it down. God's word is reliable. So when we look at this and just kind of sum things up, God is in control. Uh, we do not know why people suffer, we don't know why we even suffer. God is gracious and God's word is reliable. That's the the foundation. And as you read the 65 books that are going to follow, it builds on that foundation. Uh, These themes as well as other themes are introduced. And that redeemer that Job was anxious for, that he hoped would stand upon, that he was certain would stand upon the earth someday, uh, that redeemer, by the way, in the next 65 books, becomes the central figure of those books. I'd encourage you to discover him and get to know him and to follow him. And if you do, you're going to find hope in your journey, even at the most difficult times, even in the longest haul. Let's glorify God together in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that you are a great and wonderful God who, reveals, who has revealed yourself to mankind. Father, we are so thankful that this universe is in your hands. We thank you that you are gracious beyond our comprehension. We thank you that your word is true. Father, I just pray that you would give to us your congregation. Those of us who are following you, Father, I pray that you would give us the patience to live in the midst of unexplained crises. Help us to just fix our gaze upon you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.